0: Father, I am so grateful that your story has changed my story, and now I'm a part of your story. What you have accomplished according to your word has transformed my very identity. And I know there are many in this room who share the same truth, that their story has been changed by your story, and now we are a part of the eternal plan that you have for the redeemed Christ. Would you now um, allow me, Lord, to serve well? I'm so grateful to get to serve in this capacity today. Lord, I've spent a lot of time with you over the last few weeks and this week. I think I know what you want me to say, but if you want me to say something other than what we talked about, I'm glad to do it. Lord, would you right now allow us to have ears that can hear? And would you give us the faith to respond to what this truth that your word has revealed is? the praise of your name and the blessing of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're beginning a new series this for the summer. It's called Rooted, and it's built on an experience that our staff had uh, just over a year ago. And it's an experience that has been shared by some in our Leadership Covenant community. And it's an experience that we want to share with the congregation as a whole. Uh, the problem is that it's not a study, it's an experience, and so we can't just teach it. It's something that you actually have to go through. And we're only going to be able to do that with about 200 people at a time. And so in order for us to get all 2,000-plus of us through it, it's going to take some time. But I'm giving you guys a heads up about it because y'all came to church in the first of June, which gets you extra points with me, not with Jesus, but at least with me, not that that's going to buy you a cup of coffee or anything, but know that this is coming. That what we're going to be teaching on this summer is is the content, some of the content of this unique experience. And the experience really had a huge impact on my life and on um, many of our leaders. And I believe it's going to have a huge impact on all those who are willing to walk by faith through the experience. Um, what we're going to do is, as we talk through these things, uh, we're going to study Peter. All right. And what, what, the, what the goal in this whole thing is to do is to figure out what we're supposed to do to be rooted. Now, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about you know, being rooted in Christ, what it looks like, and we studied Psalm 1. Now we're going to talk about what we have to do to be rooted. What's our responsibility to be rooted and to have the root that produces the fruit that that Christ alone can can provide? And we're going to look at something Paul, I'm sorry, that Peter wrote from his letter to the first century church, and then also an experience from his life. Now today, we're going to talk about what it means and how important it is for a disciple of Jesus to have their very identity wrapped up in a relationship with the Lord. Now that sounds really simple, and that sounds really basic, and it is, but let's, let's not fool ourselves. It's very complicated. Because the reality is, we're still in the flesh. We still live in a fallen world and we're being pursued by a horde of demons who hate us and want to destroy everything good that's in our life, specifically our relationships. And so we need to understand the centrality of having a personal relationship with Jesus and understand that it's not always easy, that many times it's complicated. It's very much like any relationship you have. One of the best relationships I have in my life, other than my relationship with Jesus, and my relationship with my wife. And her life and my life together, it has caused me to be so, so much more fundamentally different than what I would have been otherwise. If you have a relationship with another person, that person is going to change your life. And my wife has so radically altered, altered my life. You know, if it wasn't for her, none of my clothes would match, and I would not wear anything within a decade of its, of its first production. We, uh, that's true, we, um, when we started day we... Um, I had a tie. I had this tie. It was a great tie. Uh, we just threw it away a few months ago, because every now my wife requires us to go through you know my stuff and, and start tossing stuff. And so I had this tie. it was a great tie then. it went out of style, came back in style. And I was ready to bring it back one more time, right? But she threw it away. And that's the blessing of her. You know, my wife, you know, I, I've got book sense. I can study books. I can I can learn. My wife has so much common sense. You know, I'm naive. She is so practical. And her wisdom blesses my life. Now, understand, what makes our relationship work It's not just, let me say this, it's just that we keep our covenant vows. Now I will say this to this, you—that's the beginning. To love, to honor, to cherish until death, and death parts you. The thing that fuels that our marriage is our love. We love each other with all of our problems and issues and everything else. There's love, and that's what relationship is. It's love expressing itself for the other. That's what Jesus gave me. I didn't earn that. And If you have that today, you couldn't earn it. It was given to you. Jesus pursued you, and if you have a relationship with Jesus, let me some, let me tell you something you already know is that it's changing you. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus and it's not changing you. I have serious questions as to whether or not you really have a relationship with him. Because when, when you have a, a personal relationship with another person and you love that person, that person changes you. It has a dramatic impact on you. And, and you have to understand that if you have a problem in your relationship with Jesus, it's not on his end, it's on yours. And so today as we're talking about these relations this relationship in particular with Jesus, I want you to be willing to give consideration to the fact that maybe you're the problem. Maybe there's something that you need to, to reconsider. See, it, it's built on trust and commitment. It's built on the fact that that we trust him and we can we can commit ourselves to him. Peter shows us why and how to do that. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, let's look at his calling, his initial calling uh, by Jesus when he was with his brother. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 18, and Bradley's going to read for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word, and Bradley's going to read this narrative of the calling of Peter by Jesus uh, when he was with his brother Andrew. And so, uh, would you read that for us? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would go ahead and be seated. Let's talk a little bit about Peter. Um, one of our members, one of the guys, said, "How are you doing? You know, what are you going to be preaching on?" I said, "How oh, we're going to look at the life of Peter." He said, oh, I love Peter. I love Peter. I'm just like Peter. Couldn't keep his mouth shut. Neither can I. Uh, Peter was always talking. To us. Always talking. Um, He's a blue-collar guy. He was not—he wasn't a big philosopher or anything like that. I mean, Peter was a doer. He was ready to get after it. Let's go. Let's do. Let's do. And 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 he was always the first one with his hand up when a question was asked. And uh, he was also the first one to get the wrong answers. Um, always talking when he probably should have been listening. Uh, you know, you know, you're talking too much, and, and you need to really back off when you say something. And Jesus looks at you and says, "You are Satan incarnate." that happened to Peter. Many times you learn the hard way. But what we see in his epistles is that he did indeed learn these very important lessons of faith. And his relationship with Jesus was real. When you have a relationship with Jesus, it's real. You've got something very special. Uh, If you you hold your finger in Mark chapter 1, let's go to the first epistle of Peter. Go to 1 Peter Peter 1. And I'm going to read um, a very important teaching of what of what God does for those who believe. This is where our church gets its namesake, it. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter teaches something very important. I want you to write this down. He teaches that God's gift, God's gift of new life and living hope are experienced by those who trust and commit to Jesus. He he, he here shows us what the Christian life looks like. What happens. Remember, he's a very practical man. What happens when a life is changed by the power of the gospel? Uh, We talk about the three circles a lot here. We know that God designed all things to be perfect. We sinned. We created brokenness. But God, rather than abandon us, pursued us, entered into our broken world holy, died to pay for our sin, has been raised. Now, if we will repent and believe, turn away from trusting in ourselves, and instead trust in Christ alone, believing in who He is, we get a personal relationship with Him. And see, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, for that to happen, you have to experience something supernatural. The, the Scripture says, if you'll look back with me in 1 Peter 1, you might want to underline that. It says, uh, he has caused us to be born again. You might want to underline that. Born to caused us to be. It's a middle passive, So it's something that happens to us. To be born again. There's not a baby in the world today that chose to be made and born. It's something that happened to them. See, so we're born in sin, and that sin separates us from God. We're considered, as Scripture says, dead to God. Before we can relate to God, the first thing he has to do is he's got to bring us back to life. He's got to give us new life. And you might want to check me on this, but go back and look what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I think you'll find this is exactly what he said, that we must be born again. Now, it's hard to explain how that whole works, and to be honest with you, I don't know, but I do know what it feels like to be born again. It feels like conviction. Conviction. When you see God for who He is, you'll see yourself for who you are, and you will realize the problem is me. And there will be a deep sense of conviction, of guilt, possibly shame. For those of you who are right now followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to think about when you came to know Jesus when you were saved. Think about that moment. Do you remember feeling conviction? If so, nod your head. The moment you felt conviction was the moment that you were born again. That's when the Spirit of God moved on your life, awakened you to the reality so that you could have living hope. What is this living hope? It's a new life. Living hope is when you have a confidence in who God is, that He loves you, that He is all-powerful, He's got a plan for everything you're going to go through. See, when you're born again, You have a new relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith must be exercised through your repentance and belief. But that is not the end. Friends, notice, that is not the end. There are so many baby Christians walking around and sitting in pews this Sunday. In in churches all over the world. Because they thought, I repented and believed, I accepted Jesus, but that was their last real crucial dealing with God. That is not what we were born again for. We were born again to recover and pursue God's design. Now, to do this, you have to be in a place where you trust and are committed to Jesus. If you are trusting and you are committed to Jesus, that's going to change you. That's going to alter your reality. It's going to give you this living hope, this new life. So, what are we supposed to do? How does it? How does it feel? What's the whole kind of circumstance of that? Well, let's go back to Peter's calling. Let's go back to Mark chapter one. Two things I want you to note about this: for those who trust and commit to Jesus, there are their two compelling realities that are crucial to our relationship with Him. First one is this. Those who trust and commit to Jesus live in view of the kingdom of God. Live in view of the kingdom of God. I I must tell you that this theological idea, this idea of the kingdom of God, is so misunderstood. And and I I want you to understand Scripture. I want to encourage you to really think through this with me this morning, because there are well-intentioned people this morning that are teaching things that are not true about the kingdom of God well attention but wrong and I want you to understand this look at what Jesus said here okay he says after John was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God we just talked about that and saying the time is fulfilled look at this and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel the kingdom of God is at hand the kingdom of God has come when God took on flesh entered our reality the kingdom of God has come but not fully. I want to give you three words, okay? And I want you to write this down. I want you to think with me, okay? The first word is already. Already. The other two words, I want you to give a little space and I want you to write not yet. And in between the already and the not yet, I want you to put a dash. In the kingdom of God, there is the already and not yet. And we're living in the dash. There are things of the kingdom of God because of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit that that are already according to the kingdom of God. Tons of places we could look in Scripture. One of my favorites is in Ephesians 1. So above the word already, I want you to write down Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 9. Because this is what we have already. This is what the kingdom of God has done already. All right. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us past tense in Christ already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, past tense already, in the beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Again, past tense it's already happened, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Do you see what we already have? Because the kingdom has come already. Adoption. Adoption that we might be holy. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Already. We have a a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Already. All that we need to be able to go through this dash. To live in our dash. To the glory of God with a relationship with Him that will always change us. Above not yet, I want you to write Ephesians 1. Verse ten, because in verse ten we see the not yet. What's not yet happened? Well, it says as, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Hasn't happened yet. Not everything is under the authority of Jesus Christ right now. There's still sin. We are still in a fallen world. But there's coming a day, Revelation 21. Write this down and go back and make sure I'm telling you the truth. Revelation 21, we are told there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that the two will become one reality. Isaiah talks about this. Daniel talks about this. Ezekiel talks about this. The Messianic Psalms talk about this. They talk about this reality of a world that is coming, where there will be one, one ruler Jesus Christ the king of the kings and lord of lords every knee will bow every tongue confess for those who have a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ they will they will be with him forever and all sin and all injustice and all those who stood against him will be cast into eternal suffering forever there's the already and the not yet During our lives, the in-between time, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must obey Jesus. We must pursue our relationship with Jesus. And if you're doing that, you're changing. You're becoming more like Jesus. If you're not, you have a problem with your relationship with Jesus or you don't have one. If you have a problem with your relationship with Jesus, I promise you, it's not because of anything He has done. Understand what God is calling us to. He's calling us to this new life, this living hope. How do we do that? How do we how do we walk in this life? How does that relationship happen? We well, have to understand that it all begins with our response. See, you know, right down, second thing: those who trust and commit to Jesus respond positively to the call of Jesus. Look what what these guys did. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and Andrew, Brother Simon casting a net into the sea. And I love this little comma, and then, for they were fishermen. It's very important. They were. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And look what they did. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. I want you to understand something very important about the call of God. It's a call from your plan to his plan. And please listen to me. His plan is so much better than your plan. What was Peter's plan? He wanted to be a good fisherman. And there's nothing wrong with that. That, that, There was nothing wrong with Peter being a fisherman. He was a fisherman. But had he not given up that plan, we would not be reading his letters today. We would not be reading about his call to become an apostle of Jesus Christ. His plan was good, God's was better. I'm going to tell you something about your life. I know you're making plans. And I know you're like me, you think you got it all figured out, you just need God to come on and get with it, right? Wrong. God's plan is better. Bigger and better than your plan. And it may not feel like that. It may feel like I'm being trapped. It may feel like I don't, I'm not getting what I want. It may feel like this, this isn't good. It's not real. It's not. Trust and commit to Jesus. Obey Him. That, that means you're going to have to leave your nets. What does that mean for you? To leave your nets. What does it mean for you to leave your plan? and completely surrender and trust and commit yourself to Jesus' plan. I mean, I know what it means for me. I've been thinking about this from my own life. And, and you may need to do some thinking about it, too. What does that mean to I me? Mean, you may even know right now. You may know right now, like, okay, God, I know I've been planning this, and you're like telling me no, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is what I want to do. What would it look like for you to trust and commit to Jesus and to leave your plan to pursue this? If you will do that, here's what, this, what I can assure you. You're going to be a blessing to the world and the people that you love. He said, "I'm going to make you fishers of men." What does that that mean? That means that he was going to use them to bring light and hope to the world through his life. When you when you give up something that's good for what God says is better, it's never easy. We have friends overseas that are our partners. Most of them were on staff with us here when they were called by God to go overseas. Good ministries. They had to give up what they wanted to pursue what God had planned. We have some of you sitting here right now used to be involved in another ministry in the church. And God said, listen, your time, that is done. It's time to go to what I have for you here. And it's hard and it's challenging. Take faith. Here's the good news. If you're unwilling to do what God commands you to do, he's such a good father, he'll punish you. Isn't that great? You know what, what he basically, here's what God says to you today. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Have any of you parents ever said that to your children? We can do this the easy way. the hard way. Obey me? You don't want to? Great. Right. I own everything that you have on right now. I can take it. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. So did y'all hear I got sick? You're going to hear stories about this forever. This totally freaked me out. So I went, the very worst day of the day, I felt the worst. Um, I went to my doctor and doctor said, no, you're going to have to go see a specialist. I'm going to go see a specialist. And um, this doctor, good physician, said, yeah, you're going to have to go into the hospital. And I said, yeah, I don't have time for that. There's things I need to do. There's people. There's people that need to be of. of, and, careful, and, became, and I, I just so appreciate this position because I'm sure she's dealt with with uh, people with lacking intelligence like me plenty of times. And so she said, "I get it. I'm looking at you. You look healthy. You look strong." She said, "I'm looking at your blood work, and I'm terrified." If a doctor ever says that they're looking at your blood work and they're terrified, you should be terrified too. And, and I basically said, "Look, I get it. I'm sick. Give me some medicine." I'll go home, I'll take a nap, it will be fine. And she said, okay, here's the deal. If I send you home with medicine, it's fine, I'll see you in two days. And I'm thinking, yeah, we'll just recheck and it'll be fine. She goes, no, no, I'll see you in two days. And you'll probably be in a coma and you'll be in the ICU because you're on the edge of being toxic. And the next time I see you, you're going to be so sick that we're just going to try to recover you and you're going to be in the hospital a long time if you live. So then my wife says, I think you're going into the hospital. (laughs) And it is. And she was right. I share that with you to say this. You look great, guys. You all look great. You look strong. You look healthy. You look fine. But what's going on on the inside? What's your blood work look like? See, I don't know, but God does. But I think He's showing you symptoms. You see, some of you are angry, some of you are needlessly afraid, some of you are defiant. Some of you have decided that you've got the plan, you just need God to get with you, and you're very, very arrogant, very, very proud. These are all symptoms. And here's what God's saying to you. We can do this the easy way and we can do this the hard way. He's saying, trust and commit to me. Now, please understand this is not a mechanistic, hey God, I'm doing what you want me to do, now give me what I want. It's not what this is. This is a relationship. Write this down. Life in Jesus is rooted in a right relationship with God, self, and others get a relationship with Jesus, you are made right with God, which gives you peace within, which makes you able to have peace in any circumstance. If you don't have peace in any circumstance, it's because you are under the illusion that you're in control, or it's because you are living in such disobedience to Jesus that you will not follow in his way. Peace comes through trusting and being committed to the way of Jesus. Now, some of you this morning are not in the way, and you need to get in the way, and the only way to get in the way is to repent, to say, I'm not going to be in charge anymore. You have complete authority of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm going to follow you. Some of you are disciples of Jesus. And by the way, you look great. But you know, The Spirit of God is telling you you're sick. Your heart is wrong. Something you need to come get on your knees and say, Jesus, you're right. I'm all. I'll obey. Some of you are hurting today, some of you are scared, some of you need help. I'm asking. He loves you. No one loves you like right? Jesus loves you. No one has done for you what he alone has done, and no one can ever do what he alone has accomplished. Come and get on your knees, for you belong, and ask him for help. Let's stand together, as we pray? Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. You give us what we do not deserve, and you bless us in ways that go beyond what we could ever imagine or ask for. Father, we all need you. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Some know it right now. They know I need Christ to forgive me and take over my life. And I pray right now they'll come get on their knees and ask you to do that. Some have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, but it's not a good one and they know it. And they want to come today and they they need to tell you they're sorry and that they're going to trust and commit to you. There's others that need help. Need your help, Lord. Some don't even know what to pray, they just need help. Thank you that you hear us. We need you, Lord. If you need Him, come and come talk to Him. In the spirit of prayer, just come talk to Him.